Genesis chapter 29. Genesis chapter 29. Uh, if you would open up your Bibles to there and follow along. We're going to be picking right back up here in the first book of the Bible as we continue on our journey through the book of Genesis. If you've been with us and following along with us here, you know last week when we finished chapter 28, a lot of some dynamics were taking place here uh, in this time where uh, Jacob had deceived his father. He's deceived, taken advantage of his brother Esau, his mama. He's a mama's boy, so mama coming to the rescue, and mama was helping him to figure this out because out of fear, she overheard uh, the Isaac, the dad, saying, hey, Esau, you go, go out and do some hunting, bring some game back, and you and I are going to have a great meal, and I'm going to give you the blessing. That he was well aware now that God said the blessing was going to go to the younger child, not to the older one. But he was trying to deceive God, and you're not going to deceive God. <laughs> so even out of fear and all the things, that, that doesn't justify anything. So here we go at the very end of chapter 28. If you remember setting the stage, so Rebecca realizes Esau is hot. And when he is up, so upset, he's going to kill his brother. And mama ain't going to have her little boy taken, get hurt by the older brother. So mama to the rescue and comes up with a plan and says, you're going to, son, you're going to go northeast there to the very back up to uh, Padan Aram. We're about 400 miles northeast here. And you're going to go running up there because Uncle Laban, uh, your Uncle Laban's going to take care of you, and you're going to go up there. The challenge she had then after that, coming up with that solution to try to save her boy, uh, she still recognized that uh, Isaac is still the head of the household and has to get permission for that boy to leave. So that wasn't hard, because you can imagine Isaac was probably hot as well, being deceived by the younger son and not being able to bless his oldest his oldest son, his first son, in this situation. So he comes and presents the deal. Oh, honey, you know how Esau, our oldest son, has screwed everything up and married an unbelieving woman and, and women. And they have women here, and they're pagan women, you know, and it's just all terrible, and I can't handle this. So if this can, if, you know, if, uh, if Jacob sits around here, it's going to happen to him potentially, and we just can't have that happen. We shouldn't send him away, should we, honey? Of course, Dad's not probably very happy and wants that, that boy out of his sight. He agrees and says, comes to him and says, you cannot marry a pagan woman, and you've got to go back up to where I'm from, and you need and you, where mom's from, and you're going to find a, a wife there. Well, there's the green light. Everything's good and go. Everything is orchestrated. And there we see in the, the scriptures, he's off and running going north. Well, as he's running and getting out of town and knowing Esau is going to follow him and try to hunt him down, and he was a hunter, and he'll, he'll find him. But God is going to find him first on the way up to his destination. And if you remember, he has a dream. God shows himself to Isaac as clear as can be. And in a dream, and it's remember Jacob, Jacob it was referred to many times, especially in the children's ministry, as Jacob's ladder. But it's not Jacob's ladder. It's God himself, the Lord Almighty, Jesus Christ. It's him. He's the ladder. 
and he reveals himself to Jacob, and Jacob receives him. He says, oh, God has been with me. This is God who's speaking to me. I need to give my life to God here. I have to accept and understand this ladder is the way to heaven is through Jesus Christ the Lord. He's presented himself to me. Right there in the dream. He's the ladders. Look at the, even the angels are ascending and descending up and down this ladder to heaven. It's, there's only one way to heaven. And he has a true conversion, as we say, a change internally. Inside, he was changed. And when you see someone who's truly been given their life to Jesus Christ, there's three things that we know in the scriptures. We saw two last week. One is your worship will happen. You will want to worship God. In every aspect of your life, you're going to want to worship him. And we saw Jacob putting that stone that was behind his head and putting it up, pouring oil, which is a representative oil, represents the Holy Spirit, is pouring over, he's worshiping, he's, he's just recognizing that God met him right there. Changed moment for his life. Do you remember the day when God spoke into your mind? It could have been through a dream. It could have been through someone else saying the words that God spoke through someone else to your life and you heard God saying to you and you heard his voice. Do you remember that day? The day you were born again, the day that conversion took place, a changed life. Not only when, he's, when a true conversion takes place, when you worship God, regardless of what anyone else does, You'll worship him. And it doesn't matter where. You don't worship just on Sundays. You worship him every day. You don't wait until one day to worship God. It's, it, you worship God every day. In all things. And then you see the second thing is through his works in verse 22 of 28. He now is no longer selfish. Because that's a true conversion. You no longer are about self. It's about living for God and living for others. You stop. It's not all about yourself anymore. Because the more you think about yourself, you realize the more miserably you've become. And now he's now giving. And you see one of the key elements there. Even back in Malachi 3.8, we see that he is giving a tenth of what God has given him. He says, I am making a vow. I'm going to give you one tenth. Tenth of everything you've given to me, Lord, I'm giving back to you because it's, it's the least I can do is, is to do this good work for you out of my praise and honor of who you are and as I worship you. So a true believer will give. He will do what God's called him to do and do it obediently and faithfully. And the last one we'll see here today, and that is the walk and how you walk on a daily basis. It's one thing acting godly and being godly and saying all the right godly things, the Christianese that people get down and, oh, yes, my brother, I love you too on Sunday. But what happened Monday through Saturday? You shouldn't be one way on Sunday and differently at work and differently in your home, differently in that. And I know that's a struggle. And I know we all struggle with those consistencies across every aspect of our lives. But we need to continue to fight that good fight and that battle through each aspect of our lives and until God has complete control. And that the enemy no longer can bring you down into the depressions and oppressions and all these other things that the enemy wants to bring you down. 
Because that's how he destroys lives. That's how he causes disunity. When people become selfish and they only think about themselves and what they're not getting or am getting. Versus what you can give to God and to others. To keep that unity. So we see here Jacob's on his way. Verse 1 of 29. We're just getting started. Chapter 29, here we go. So Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. So he sure did. He's moving forward, 400-mile journey. And he's going up to Padan Aram, where his dad and his mother came from. And look in verse 2. And he looked. Jacob looked, and he saw a well in the field. And behold, there were three flocks of sheep lying by it. For out of that well they were they watered the flocks, and a large stone was on the well's mouth. Now all the flocks would be gathered there, and they would roll the stone from the well's mouth, water the sheep, and put the stone back in its place on the well's mouth. So we, we get a little commentary here of what's happening here. He's been journeying a long time. He's finally made it into some of this area. He sees a well. He sees the flocks sitting by this well. The well is covered with a stone. And he's watching this whole thing. And he's coming up onto the scene here. And he sees these guys, these shepherds. And what does he say to them in verse 4? He says, Jacob said to them, My brethren, where are you from? And they said, We are from Haran. Whoa. I finally made it to where I was supposed to come. I've made this long 400 mile or so journey through the rough, rocky terrain, treacherous terrain. I finally get there and I finally arrive. How does he know that? Because of the road signs told him on the way? Arrows pointing this direction? You got five, you know, 300 miles to go, 200 miles to go, little land markers? No. Google Maps showing them? No, nothing going on with the Google Maps going back in those days. He had to find out as he journeyed by faith in a direction that he was told to go, believed to go, he had to go by faith and he had to ask as he went. He needed to find out. He finally gets to a place. He says, okay, where am I at? Where are you, where are you from? Haran. And that must have been such a joy. After a long, hard journey, it must have been such a joy to finally get there. And it just happened that he asked some shepherds near a well. It just happened that he finally made it to the destination. He wasn't off by 20 miles, 30 miles. When you're traveling 400 miles, if you're off by a degree or so, what happens? You can be in another country, you know what I'm saying? In enemy territory. That's why we don't want to get off track by a degree or two. We want to be right on the road that God has us. Because if we're off by a degree, you could lead you to absolutely a destination where God doesn't want you to be. He'll bring you back. Watch how it happens. This is amazing. Because he does bring him back here. And we see that after he asked, he says, he had to clarify, verse 5. Then he said to them, do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? And they said, we know him. Oh, this is getting better. This is really good. But you still have to ask the question. You still have to figure something out. Well, we see he asks the next question because he has to know. So in verse 6, so he said to them, 
is he well? He didn't want to say, is he dead or alive? You know, he didn't want to do He was a little more delicate there. He says, is he well? And they said, he is well. And then they said to, to, to Jacob, and look, his daughter Rachel is coming with the sheep. How does he respond? Verse 7. Then he said, look, it is still high day. It is not time for the cattle to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go and feed them. So here's, <laughs> here's an interesting Jacob. You know, he, he, we already know he's a deceiver. He's a heel catcher. That's his name. Jacob means heel catcher. Or, you know, you know he, he deceives people. That's who he is. Now, remember, God has met him on the way. He's, he's going to be refined. He's going to be changed. Just because you give your life to Jesus Christ and you've asked for forgiveness of sins and he has forgiven you, he still has to do a work in your life. So there's this divine intervention that God starts working in each person's life and bringing about situations. And as we will see today, a deceiver will reap what he has deceived. You can't get around that. And we will see that happens. So, But God uses that to refine this man. And it's amazing how we will see this take place. So he sits there and he starts seeing a little bit of character. And he says to these, these shepherds, he doesn't even know. And he says, uh, he's telling them what to do. Eh, it's not the time to, to, to you know, take care of the cattle. Get the water and the sheep, and you guys got to go. Gotta go. Why? Because Jacob knows his mission was to go home back to Uncle Laban's. He's confirmed that. And two, he is supposed to be looking for a wife from that family, from that tribe, from that thing. Guess what? His daughter's coming. Does he want any other the other guys hanging around while he's trying to have a conversation with this woman? Not, no, probably not. So look what happens. I love the response here that they give to him. In verse 8, but they said to Jacob there, he says, we cannot, we cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and they have rolled the stone from the well's mouth, then we will water the sheep. So they push back and say, I don't know who you are, dude, but that's not how we do it here. We're going to make sure everyone comes together, and we open it up, and we help it. Now, was those guys know who Rachel is? Yes. Were they waiting to make sure Rachel gets here in time with her sheep so they're all together? Probably these guys were making sure that happened. Aren't they really great friends? They're just good guys, right? That's why they did it. Well, let's continue here. So now while the, he was still speaking the, with them, he must have been trying to barter with him and trying to convince them, right? <laughs> Talking to him there. You can see it in the character of Jacob. But it says, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Ah, here's a shepherdess. Why? Because Laban didn't have sons. So his, his girls had to work the land. He had to take care of the sheep. He had to do what the, the farm. This is what happened. So here she comes. And it came to pass when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, that Jacob went near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. <laughs> oh, I love the character of a guy. Here he is, and here comes a girl in place. He doesn't know what's going on. He's trying to tell these people what to do and not to do. And they're saying, oh, absolutely not. We're, this, this stone will be removed, and we'll water once everyone's together. Here she shows up, and what does the mama's boy do? He comes to Her Hercules. 
He gets his strength out of nowhere and goes and moves the stone on his own and opens up the well and then sits there and automatically starts feeding the water to her sheep. Isn't that nice? He's just a gentleman, isn't he? No objective, but obviously there was obviously being directed to do so. He understood that things were lining things up and it just happens that things are starting to line up and he can sense it. And, <laughs> you know, he, he's going to show his favorite or good side to Rachel as she arrives. <laughs> he wants to make sure Rachel takes notice of him because that's what he's going to do. I want Rachel to notice who I am and have this conversation. So I'll make sure I have conversation with her. Why? I'll be the one that removes the stone. I'll be the one that feeds her sheep. She'll take notice then. Look what happens then. In verse 11, Jacob did not want to make, he wanted to make sure it was very clear who he is. And what does he do? Jacob kissed Rachel and lifted up his voice and wept. <laughs> what a moment. You have to kind of see it. He's traveled 400 miles. He is at a place that he's, oh, I'm at exactly where I'm supposed to be. Everything just happens to be lining up so perfectly. And not only is Laban, Uncle Laban, still alive, but here comes his daughter even with the sheep. I'm going to meet the daughter of the person I needed to meet. I, this is all lining up. This is incredible. And then she sees him. And he's feeding the sheep. He becomes overwhelmed. It's almost like a relief. This is cannot believe this is happening. I've always wanted to be married. I've always wanted to get up here. I, my life is in, it seems to all be coming back together. He's overwhelmed. Not only does he kiss her. Now, now it's not out of custom that you know kissing a relative is not a, out of custom at that time. But it was, it was the fact that he lifted up his voice and he must have been praising God of all of that God was orchestrating. And he was overwhelmed by God's presence, by God's orchestration and God's happening, all these together. He could not help but release a weeping and crying. What an overwhelming experience. I don't think we really understand how overwhelming that was, seeing this all coming together and knowing God was orchestrating it. So what happened? And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's relative and that he was Rebecca's son. And so she ran and told her father. She couldn't contain herself. I got to go tell dad. This is an incredible moment here. And then it came to pass when Laban heard the report about Jacob, his, his sister's son, that he came, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. So he told Laban all these things. Wow. Family reunion unexpected. Someone shows up at your doorstep you haven't even seen and met before and come to find out this is your your sister's son. Now you have to think about this. Last time this happened was when his sister Rebecca, a servant, and all of his entourage showed up. And when he showed up, he wanted to, he was finding a wife for his, his, uh, his master's son, Isaac. Laban was the head, the, uh, the oldest son, so he had the responsibility to marry off or to make a deal and work out that deal for that marriage, if you remember. 
And if you remember back in the scriptures, what happened when that servant showed up for his sister Rebecca? He gave Rebecca immediately a shekel of way of, uh, of, uh, of for a nose ring, if you remember, and then gave other gifts, and then gave the the Laban, the the the, the brother and the mother gifts, money as well to to show because it's a wealthy family. So now here Laban is going, hey, my sister married into a wealthy family, and here's her son showing up. This is going to be great. Of course you can come into my house. Of course I want you to come around. My question we, as you ponder on this is, how much did he really tell Laban what took place? Did he just give a highlight and say, Yes, mom's your sister is doing great and everything's fine. He's she's had two kids and oh yeah, you won't believe how difficult it was to get pregnant and, and I'm a, I'm here, I'm the youngest and Esau's the oldest. Uh, the oldest didn't do very well. He married pagan women. But they sent me up here to get a godly woman, you know. And he, what did he really tell him? Or did he tell him? Oh yeah, I, I deceived my brother. I deceived my dad. I'm a deceiver. I really screwed things up. They needed to get me out of the house because my older brother's going to kill me. Mama, Mama made sure to send me to you because you're Uncle Laban. You'll protect me. She then convinced Dad it's because I'm coming up here for a wife. And I do want a wife. You know, I, What did he really say in those things? And you can see the response in verse 14, maybe a hint of how Laban was taking this, because it says right here, Laban said to him, surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him for a month. Now, you have to look at a different perspective here. Because staying for a month, being around Rachel, this is heaven on earth for Jacob. Man, I'm in, in, in daddy's house. I get to be around the daughter, the one I love. This is going to be great. This is going to go good for me as a guy. But Laban, you can also look at this and say, simply say, oh, Jacob, you're relative now. We're, we're family. Come on in my house. This is fine. You're the, you are my bone and my flesh. Surely you are. But you can take it, in which I kind of lean toward. I think Jacob was changed. I think he had a true conversion. And I think he was honest. I think he told Laban more the truth and didn't take away. Because I think Laban said, surely, son, you and I are a lot alike. Because Laban knows. If that's how Jacob was, and after I listened to your story here, you and my, you're, you're like my bone and my flesh. You're like a son of me. You're a lot like me. Come on in. Stay at my house. Well, what, let's see how it plays out in the rest of the story here. Verse 15. Then Laban said to Jacob, because you are my relative, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what should your wages be? Now remember, Mama told Jacob, you're just going to go for a few days until Esau comes down. And then you're coming back. We know that didn't happen. But now we see that he's lured in to say, hey, you can stay a month. And he stayed a month there in Uncle Laban's house. And he's obviously working and doing things around the house. So he's been working like he's, he's a worker there, like a servant. 
And Uncle Laban, after a month, he says to Jacob, wait a minute, you're, you're my relative. You shouldn't be just doing this for free. What can I pay you to continue to work here for doing what you're doing? Why? Because Jacob had no money. Remember, when the servant was sent off to go get a, a wife for the son, that servant had gifts and money and everything to go and give. You see how I believe, I don't think Isaac was, I would think Isaac was so happy to get that rid of that younger son out of his household for after deceiving him. But he sent him with nothing. There's no gifts he showed up. He put a, ear, a, a nose ring on, on Rachel when he saw her at the, at the well. He didn't give, he's not showing any, at this point, as we'll see, giving any money to the, to, to, to the dad. He had no money. He had to work. And he had to money. And Laban obviously saw this. But what's interesting, he asks Jacob, how much should you give? Well, verse 16, now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older, elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were delicate. Well, a lot of people, the experts, were trying to figure out what delicate means. I just think that you should keep it very simple when you read the word of God. Delicate can mean there's a tenderness or a, a possible weakness. Is in the same as scripture, the original language uses weak or extravagant. It's something unique about her eyes. And I keep it that way. I don't explain anything other than that. People say, oh, it must mean that she had blue eyes and because of the, the, that culture all had brown eyes and it made her unique. Just, she had delicate eyes. That's all this description is here. But look at Rachel's eyes. But Rachel was beautiful of form and appearance. When you looked at her, there was something radiant about her. So there's a distinction between the two sisters. In verse 18, now Jacob loved Rachel. So we see where his heart is. Not because, I don't, it's not because she was the first one he met and she was the friendly face and the first female he saw there. Don't think that's it at all. So that's a warning to you guys. Just because you see a pretty face and a pretty form and she's the first one and you're ready to get married doesn't mean it's of God. <laughs> Let me give you a warning on that. Don't read into the scripture here. God is orchestrating this. God is approved of this. And we're going to see that play out here. So he says, now Jacob loved Rachel, so he said, I will serve you seven years for Rachel, your younger daughter. He had to have a dowry. When you got married in that culture, you had to come with some something, with some substance that was of value you were placing on having that wife. You had to have a dowry. He had nothing, so he had to work. Now, it's interesting, the father said, you name the price. Well, you think, you know, he, what's the normal price? But out of emotion, out of such love he had for Rachel, he did not want to lose her. He said, I will give you seven years of my life of service. That's huge. Over any of the dowries, if you look historically, Josephus, anything, that is huge dowry he's, he's offering. Why? Because he wanted her so badly to be his wife. He was willing to give. Not all that he had, because he had nothing. He was willing to work whatever it took to get her because of the love on his heart for her. But notice something. 
Laban responds in verse 19 and said, It is better that I give her to you than that I should give her to another man. Stay with me. He says, we have a deal. We have a deal. It's sealed. Not are you going to be up there for a few days. Not just for a month. Now you're going to be committing for seven years you're going to be there. And he said, this is a great deal. I've got a father. His responsibility is to marry off his two daughters. He's getting one of them married off. He's saying this, and I'm getting seven years for you to serve me? And you get room and board, and that's it? Oh, this is a sweet deal for him. He's loving it. And knowing how much he loved Rachel, look what happens. It's so tender. It's so, it's so, it shows how much he loved Rachel. And true love really is reflected in this next verse, verse 20. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed only a few days to him because of the love he had for her. That's really a true love moment. I tell young couples who say, I think I met someone, Pastor. I think, how do I meet her? I want to talk. I, I really think she might be the one. I don't know. And I say, just go to Starbucks. Go have a cup of coffee. Sit in some neutral place and just tell me how it goes. Well, you know, if you're married, you know how it is. You think you're going to meet for about 30 minutes, 15, 30 minutes. If it's not good and if it doesn't work out, I'm out of there, right? Starbucks. Oh, we got our coffees. Oh, it's so nice to meet you. And you can break and go. Pretty simple. But if it's truly something there, you'll be there for hours talking and it'll feel like what? Just a few minutes. Amen? Have you been there? You've been there, right? Those who are married. Because there's something that time just flies by when you're captivated by a love for that person. It's an indication. Not a guarantee. It's just, next step, we'll go and have another coffee. Or we'll have lunch together. You just you take the next step. But you know there's something there that's unique. And I've watched that happen in so many people's lives that God is bringing together. Now what's interesting here this love that he has for Rachel is just, you know, just passes by. But in verse 21, then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife for my days are fulfilled that I may go in to her. <laughs> He's been working seven years, but love is patient. Love waits. Love gives. First Corinthians 13. But there's a time where you know this man, Jacob, was counting the days off so that he could commence, come together in one as she, he enters into her and becomes one and seals that deal of marriage. And this is an incredible moment for him. Obviously, dad wasn't reminding him, but you know Jacob was tracking the days of seven years. But in verse 22... Laban gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast. <laughs> so now remember, Jacob is around 70 years of age at this point. 
So for seven years, he's been working. He's ready to have that child. I mean, he's ready to have marriage and have children. He's 70 years old. Now, keep in mind, he lives until about 165 years of age. So 70 is not old. So whatever you're thinking, of you know, some of you in there, that 70 is too old is not too old. But especially in those days, 70 was still young enough to have marriage and starting a family and, and, and engaging him. He had vitality still. But we see here Laban is still showing that he's in an agreement of the deal from the very beginning. He knew he loved Rachel. He knew he was going to spend, spend seven years working for Laban for marriage with Rachel. There was no doubt in anyone's mind what he was doing. And Laban even takes it to the next level and says, okay, let's have the one, the customary one-week wedding. Seven days of celebration for the wedding. Can you imagine that? You guys, are we get all wound up for one day of wedding moment. Can you imagine celebrating for a whole week with the entire community? But that wedding starts with the gathering of a men's party. There is going to be men coming together. We're going to have a party. We're going to celebrate. And it's going to kick off the week-long celebration, custom celebration. So what happens? Verse 23, now it came to pass in the evening. Now remember, they've been partying all day long, these guys. The customary wedding, that, that woman that he's to marry to, 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 to consummate the marriage and come together as one in, the, in, in his tent. Remember, she's veiled from head to toe. So he's not in his right mind. He's, he's very eager. And she's clothed. She's unveiled. And don't forget, there's no flipping a switch of lights on. Everything's dark in that area. There's no lights out there except the moon and the stars and whatever candles they may have had. So don't, you have to keep that in context here as we read the rest of this here. doesn't justify it, but here, look at what happens. So now it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah, his daughter. So uh, Laban took his daughter, uh, Leah, brought her to Jacob to his tent, and he went in to her. Commence the, 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 to, to finalize the wedding here, to coming together as one between husband and wife, between man and woman. And Laban gave his maid Zilpha to his daughter Leah as a maid. That's what happened during that time. They would bring and they'd allow, when you send your daughter, you would, you would make sure you, she had a, a, a girlfriend with her, a maid, a servant, to help her during that period of time. But notice what happens here. Did you notice the change of names? Laban did not bring Rachel. He brought Leah, the older sister. Hello. He's now doing a switcheroo and deceiving Jacob. Now, you know as well as I do, that must have been absolute For, for a dad to sit there and lie and lie and lie and lie and lie all the way through for seven years of giving this false promise and then to deceive. You see who Laban really is. So what happened? What happened here? And Laban gave, uh, verse 25, so it came to pass in the morning that behold, <laughs> hello, surprise, 
It was Leah. And he said to Laban, oh, what happened between Leah and Laban there? You know what happened. Here he is. He's waking up, and he turns over, and he says, whoa, Leah, what, what happened to Rachel? You know it didn't take him long to get out of that bed and run to find Laban and say to him, what? He said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? What is it? Was it not for Rachel that I served you? Why then have you deceived me? Well, God has allowed a divine retribution into your life. Jacob had been a deceiver his whole life. And now, because of that deceit, he's reaping deceit upon his own life now. We see that God is going to, has used and allowed Laban to deceive him and to bring his oldest daughter into the tent without him knowing and understanding at the time. And it brings you back to the scripture of Galatians 6, 7, that you will reap what you sow. That law is a God's law, and you're not going to get around this law. And this law applies not only spiritually that we see here, but also physically. And there's a reason for this law that God put in place. Because if you didn't, you would have chaos. Now think about this. If you were a farmer and you went out and you sowed seed for corn for your cows, and the corn started, what you thought was corn seed was coming out, and it was completely something different, can you imagine the chaos you would have as a farmer? Can you imagine if you had seeds to grow the or something that in cold climate, but you end up getting a, another plant that grows that cannot grow in cold climate, can only be in warm climate, and it just dies off. It doesn't grow. So you has to be order what you you sow, you shall reap. So there is a natural law there that God put it for order, but spiritually it's the same thing. We see that. You reap, you sow deceit, you will reap deceit. It's only a matter of time that will come back to you. And here Jacob is now having to pay it, uh, pay it back. And you know that it's starting to work. God is using that to work in his life. And Laban comes up with an excuse here. He says, it must not be done so in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Oh, that must have got like a thump in his chest. Laban uses an excuse here. You know the, the firstborn goes first. They get the first place. They should be getting married first and the younger second. That's how we do it in our country up here. Now that deceit is turned around on him. Because if you remember, Jacob went out there to steal the birthright of the firstborn, his brother Esau. And to get the blessing and everything. What the problem is, is God was already orchestrating that arrangement for the first, before or the second, the, the second son to get the blessing and the birthright before the first. That's God's doing. You, you and I are not to mess with those things. God had already put on the heart and orchestrating that Rachel was going to be and will continue to be that lineage or become the, the messianic lineage that God designed for the, to, for the, to, 
for it to all happen according to God's plan. <clears throat> so here in God's wisdom and unsovereignty, he's working all of this out as we we'll continue down the scriptures, how he uses um, uh, Leah and his, her lineage and Rachel and her lineage. But it's because of the fact that there's a deceit and there's reaping of that deceit, it causes major problems, which we will see next week, Lord willing. But we'll see here, this, he gives this excuse, but in verse 27, he says, Laban says to Jacob, fulfill her week, and we will give you this one also for the service which you will serve with me still another seven years. So Laban says, okay, here's the deal. Finish out this marriage week with Leah. Keep Leah as your, as your wife. Keep her. Don't, don't go back out on this because this is already, you've already slept with her. You can't dip back out. You're not going to give her back to me. But then you're going to turn around. If you want Rachel, then you're going to have to serve me another seven years for her. So did he take the deal? And Jacob did so and fulfilled her week, those seven years. So he gave him his daughter Rachel as wife also. You know, true love does wait. You will wait. You will be patiently, will wait. Even with all the circumstances and you don't know why it's all not working out, you just wait. God is in control and understands why there's delays and sometimes. But notice here, before we move on and finish up here the last few verses, the word week here. This confirms, for you and I, confirms the word here in the original language, week means, can also mean years, a fulfillment of years. So a week, we think immediately seven days. And that is true. Like in the, the, book, in the book of Genesis, in the, beginning, in the very beginning, God created the heavens and the earth in those seven days. But here this week means years. And we see that also, if you, and I'll bring this to memory, Daniel chapter 9 of the prophecy of the Daniel's 70-week uh, um, prophecy, meaning the fulfillment are by years, not weeks. Uh, days that he's talking about. So here we see it clearly, seven years that he was going to have to fulfill that, uh, that, uh, that agreement. And sure enough, verse 29, Laban gave his, his maid uh, Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as a maid. So he again gave a helper, a maid. Also, you can see they've become concubines for uh, Jacob as well. We see here the star in, uh, of polygamy here. And uh, verse 30, then Jacob also went into Rachel, and he also loved Rachel more than Leah, and he served with Laban still another seven years. Polygamy, no good. God did not want polygamy, should not have had polygamy, and you can see this is what happens as part of the reaping of deceit, uh, something going against God's plan. God's plan for marriage is between one woman and one man together, not polygamy, not multiple wives. There's pluses and minuses. I've heard all the different things about that. But I assure you, according to God's plan, one woman. That's how God has it, not to be married to more than one woman at a time. And we will see because of this, this whole wheeling and dealing of Laban, it's caused now and we'll see a, an effect on him and his life and his, his daughter's life because now we're going to see next week. Not only does deceit reaps, but this, this, this reaping 
You'll see next week what it causes. Reaps, and I'll, I'll save that, what, it, what happens next week, so you'll show up next week and find out truly what happens um, as part of the consequences of going against God's way.